Open your Bibles to Genesis 24. If you've not been with us before, uh, we are preaching through the book of Genesis pretty much verse by verse. Um, not that we skip over some, but we might have to just explain them without reading them. But uh, we, uh, we've been going through that. And almost every week I've said a, a similar thing about discovering new things. And, and it, it really is true. I, I grew up learning, uh, uh, I grew up in a Baptist church and from childhood learning these stories that are, we find in Genesis, we find creation, we find the flood, the fall of man, we find the flood, we find uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and, and the growth of the uh, Israelites into a, a clan, and then they go off into Egypt, and uh, Joseph, and all the stories surrounding uh, the Old Testament, Joseph, and he becomes a prince of Egypt from a slave to a prince, and, and all these great, 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 great moves uh, throughout the book of Genesis, and, uh, and I want to put it a different way to you. Ever since the Titanic sunk in the 1920s, about almost 100 years ago now, preachers have used that as an illustration. There's a ton of illustrations that come off the sinking of the Titanic. But I just want you to think about one. It sunk. It was the biggest ship ever made. They, they, the, the engineer claimed that it couldn't be sank, or somebody did. One of the builders, I think, uh, claimed that. The engineer said, he, no, he never said that. But, but the only thing it ever did was sink. But what sank it was a piece of ice. Now just think about that. A piece of ice sinks the biggest ship ever made. And it was a pretty big chunk of ice from my understanding of it. But here's what I want you to think about today. 90% of that chunk of ice could not be seen. It was under the surface. What sank the Titanic was 10% of one iceberg. And Genesis, as you read it, if all you do is read it, you hopefully may get 10% of that iceberg. It is so full of meaning. And we come to a chapter that is the longest chapter in this book of beginnings, the book of Genesis. The longest one. Now, we, we, creation, the flood. God spends less time on that than he does on Isaac getting a wife. Now, I get it. This is part of the promise God made to Abraham. Oh, your descendants will be as many as the sands of the sea. And we have been seeing as we come up to this day that God has been engineering things. He's kept Abraham there. He has saved his life. He's kept Sarah, protected her from being accused of, 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 of in a sense, adultery. I can't find a better word for that because of Abraham's stupidity, really, his lack of faith and and lying about her being his wife, just saying, only claiming her as a sister. And God preserves them through that. And so I get that the one son that is born to Abraham and, and Sarah, who is, is Isaac, because she is the co-heir of that promise. She's the mother of faith. Having him get the right wife is very important. And, and so at the end of chapter 22, and then 23 was about Sarah's death. So at the end of chapter 22, it was told to Abraham and his, that all these relatives of his, they've gotten married and about their children. And so he knows that the family he left now has daughters that could be married. And he wants his son to have one of those, which would be really a kind of a distant cousin to Isaac, to be his wife, to keep this promise in the family, if you will. And it's obviously God's will because of how God does it. Now, this is a long chapter. 
and, uh, and, and I don't have a long time, and it's a struggle for me because I want to read the whole thing to you uh, and then comment on it, but then I tend to read it again anyway. But um, I'm, I'm going to read to you beginning in verse 1. I'm going to do the first nine verses, so just listen with me for a second. Now, Abraham was old, well advanced in years, okay? One historian said that Abraham was probably 140 and Isaac was 40 when uh, he sent away to get his wife. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country, to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house, from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for uh, just the teaching of it. Lord, we cannot understand even what is there on the surface without the help of the Holy Spirit. So we thank you, Lord Jesus, for pouring the Spirit out on us, the Holy Spirit, that we might be illuminated to behold the wonderful things out of your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were subjected to your Father and did his will so that you could win for us our salvation. And may this day, Lord, we be uh, open to hear and quick to obey your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in this chapter, uh, here's something I want you to take home with you today. We're talking about the Spirit leading today because the Spirit led the servant of Abraham. If the Holy Spirit's not in your life, you're not saved. Okay, let's just start there. Because Romans 8, 11 says that if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're not none of His. Okay, you are none of His. So you can read that for yourself, Romans 8, 11. Uh, and, and so you, if you don't have the Holy Spirit present in your life, you're not a Christian. That, that is the, he's the seal, the mark. He is the one that puts us into Christ. This servant of Moses is led by God. And, and so the Holy Spirit was leading this guy, even though he may not have been aware of, of the Holy Spirit as a person. But that, we know that that's what is happening. Abraham promises that the angel of God would lead him. And, uh, but God doesn't make any physical manifestation to this servant. He only leads him. So I read the first part of this, and this is Abraham transferring a responsibility to uh, his servant. Now, you are aware in those days, and all young single people shudder at the thought in America, that your, your parents picked out your mate. So this is Abraham's job, right? So the chapter starts off with, but the dude's old, all right? Now, it doesn't say that. Sometimes I give you the Stuart translation, all right? This guy is old. It says he's older, um, and uh, he's lived a long time, but he's been blessed in all things. He's well advanced in years. That's a nice way of saying you're old, man. So Abraham transfers this responsibility to his servant to go find a wife, but he's got a specific place and specific people he wants to do a shopping in. You know, some people say, hang out with rich people and marry for love. Well, 
they're looking for the will of God here. They're not looking for rich people. They got money. Not looking for love. They're looking for God to fulfill his promise. And that's what Abraham wants. And he's gotten word. And, and the Bible breaks that up by telling us about the death of Sarah. And by the way, last week I said I couldn't think of another woman in the Bible. That, but it talks about Rachel. It talks about Rebecca's death. The Bible tells us uh, about Rahab, um, uh, Jezebel's death. Uh, it wasn't a good one. She was wicked. Uh, it, uh, it tells us about uh, Ananias Sapphira. She agreed with her husband to lie uh, to the Holy Spirit. And God killed her over an axe. So there are some other women that it's mentioned they die. But nothing as detailed as the death of Sarah. This mother of, of our faith. Uh, the mother of, of all of our faith. As Abraham was the father of faith. So we come here today. And we forget that. He got news about his family that, okay, we got some girl cousins over there. One of those is going to obviously be the right one for Isaac. So he calls in, he's, the Bible calls him the most trusted servant. And he says to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all he had. We've read that. He is in charge of everything Abraham owns. And then he asked him to make the most solemn promise that he could make in this way and that was to put his hand under his thigh that's a nice way of saying it was an intimate spot okay we'll just leave it there you can figure it out and yes that's what it means and it means that because this is the source in their thinking of their descendants and he's asking them to go get a wife for his son and he I want you to promise me this is what you'll do and he gives him directions and Elliot and uh, the servant says well, let me uh, ask you, what if the girl says, I, I don't know you, man. I'm not going with you. He says, don't worry about it. Just come on back. You, you, your, your job is to go find her and ask her to come back. So the servant does what he, he's told. He, he makes the promise. He puts his hand where he's supposed to. He, he makes this promise. And then we find this story beginning in verse 10 of, of how he does it. Now, again, this, this is a long chapter because God gives us a lot of details. I could sum this chapter up in a sentence. Abraham asked his servant to go get a wife for Isaac from his family, and he did, and her name was Rebecca. That's all of these verses summed up in a sentence, okay? But there's, there's a 90% iceberg under here, and that's where we're headed. So stick with me, and I'll, bring you, I'll show you the rest of the iceberg later, okay? So here's what Eliezer does. He gets... Uh, some camels, and the Bible tells us how many. Now, I'm not a numerology guy. I, I mean, I know some numbers have, are symbolic of other things. So some people get lost in all that. Uh, but the number 10, it may not be specific, but there are some things that happen within the story that, that are kind of important about us knowing how many camels there are. And he takes all these kinds of gifts and he travels and he goes to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor and he made the camels kneel down outside the well of water. And here's what El, uh, the servant said. I keep wanting to say his name. I'm trying not to say his name till later. Okay, so I'm, I'll tell you why when I get there. Verse 12, and he said, O Lord, or Yahweh, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Verse 14, let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I'll water your camels, let her be the one whom you've appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So I want you to catch this. The servant is given this task. 
Now, he knows the people he's supposed to go find to find the wife for Isaac. It's Abraham's relatives. Now, Abraham's relatives are probably well-known and pretty rich as well. It seems from the context that that is true. So why didn't he just go to the town, go to the city fathers or the gathering place and go, hey, do y'all know where Abraham's relatives live? Because they went, oh yeah, they're all right over there. I mean, it would have been a simple task. But this servant does it in such a way that he's going to know for sure God's leading in his life. What I would ask you about that, I'm not saying you have to do that, but what I am asking is, what are you doing in your life that if God doesn't show up, you're going to utterly fail? That's what this servant is doing. He's got such an important task, he doesn't want to do a halfway job with it. He's going to make sure God's leading him. No wonder Abraham is willing to trust it all into the hands of this servant. This guy has this mentality of, okay, Lord, here's an idea I got. I'm going to ask some gal that you kind of make me see, I hope. I, I, I'm adding that, but it's like the one that I asked. So it's like, I'm going to be looking around, and when I ask this girl, can I get a drink of water from you? If she says, sure, and I'll give water to your camels too, I'll know that's the girl. That's what he asked. But I want you to catch after the prayer, verse 18, or 15, sorry, verse 15. Before he finished speaking. Before he said the amen. Before he could get his thoughts out, God, God couldn't just, well, God could. God can do anything he wants. But God doesn't just do it all of a sudden. This girl's had to walk from somewhere to get to the well. She was already on her way before this guy ever started praying. My point is this. God knows your need before you know your need. God starts working all the circumstances of your life before you even know it. And by the time you ever get around to praying, God's already got it on the way. And so therefore, when you see things happening in your life, you ought to go, wow, look what God's doing for me. You say, well, you don't know what he's doing for me. I would rather he didn't do that. It's not so fun. I promise. God's doing something in your life that he can gain glory from you and our job is to get in tune with him not to get him to answer our prayer that's what's going on in this servant this servant I don't think he thought this up I think God put the thought in his mind we were just talking about worship and glorifying God listen you can't worship God without his help sinful man is the enemy of God he wants to shake his fist in God's face and say get away from me if you worship God, it's because God put in you to worship him. We can't pray without his help. We can't worship without his help. And it's illustrated here so beautifully before he's finished speaking. He looks up and he sees Rebecca. That's her name. Who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. So this is Abraham's niece. And she's coming out with the water jar on her shoulder. Get the picture. She's holding it up there on her shoulder. I don't know how big that jar is, but it's empty on the way. And it's full on the way out. And she came out with the water jar on her shoulder. And this young woman was very attractive in appearance. So the servant goes, check one. I won't say more. A maiden whom no man had known. She's a pure girl. 
She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. I want you to catch that. She had to go down to the spring and walk up out. That's going to become very important in just a second. So, as she's coming up, the servant ran to meet her. Now, something in this servant went, go ask her. That's the one. Go ask her. I mean, he's just said, Lord, just show me a girl, and I'm going to ask her for water. And she's going to say, I'll water your camels, and I know that's it. And he looks up, and there she is. I mean, God's already answered it. So he watches her go get the water and come up. And then it says he ran to meet her. Now, if I were a young single girl, and I've never been a young single girl, no matter what people say is possible, I am not, am not, never have been, never wanted to be a young single girl. And some old dude comes running at me. I may drop that water jar and, you know, like get ready to fight or something. I don't know. But she doesn't panic. But I, I want you to catch that he ran to her. Okay? I'm going to show you that uh, in, later on. And he ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. He even throws the word little in there. I just, I just need a little drink of water. And she said, verse 18, drink my Lord. And she quickly let down the jar upon her hand. She dropped it onto her hand and gave him water to drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels also till they finish drinking. How many camels did he bring? She's got a jar. So I looked it up because I've been wondering about this since I was a kid. How much can a camel drink? I can tell you exactly. A thirsty camel can drink 53 gallons of water in three minutes. A slightly thirsty camel can drink 20 to 30 gallons of water in 10 minutes. Because he's not thirsty, so he's not like, you know, he's just, okay, I'll drink it. You got it there. I'll refill. This means that at a minimum, she carried 200 gallons of water in a jar going down and up, down and up, down and up, down and up. All he did was ask for a drink of water. See, he didn't want to lay the task out in front of her. He wanted her to go, well, you just obviously came from a long trip. I bet your camels are thirsty. I'll drink. So, check one, she's pretty. Check two, She's thoughtful. Check three, that gal's strong. <laughs> I mean, this girl can work. I bet she can bear a child to my master's son. Man, he goes, that's it. She did it. Notice, it, it says here in the text, as she's doing that, as she's drawing the water, it says, verse 20, so she quickly just emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water and drew for all his camels. 10 times 53 is 530 gallons. 20, 200 gallons. The man gazed at her in silence. Now there's something else that would creep out a young single girl. We got an old guy just watching her. The whole time she's moving. But that's not his purpose. He gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. In other words, he's watching her. Did she go get about halfway and go, look man. You got too many camels. They all got a little bit. God bless you. I got to go home. She finishes the task, and he's just watching her. Never changes her attitude, never grumps, never complains. He goes, okay, this must be God's choice. But it goes a little further, and, and I'll go ahead and say what the further is, is she has a generous heart. 
Now, he's going to ask her where you live. Is there room for us to come stay with you? And she says, absolutely. She runs home, gets her brother. Her brother comes back and says, sure, Lord, we got food for the camels, everything. Come on, come on, come on. You see, that was exactly like Abraham. When God showed up with two angels at the Oaks of Mamre, he greets them, he brings them in, he feeds them, he takes care of them. And he knew that Isaac can't marry a woman who doesn't have a spirit of generosity and, and, and hospitality in her. That she's got to be tough in what she was. I guess, I don't know if Isaac said, hey, if you can help it, make sure she's pretty. You know, I don't know. But she's checked off a lot of these boxes. And in verse 22, we, we see what I was just saying. The camels finished drinking. He took a gold ring weighing half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels and said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we got plenty of room, straw, fodder, and room to spend the night. And the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. That was that final test. Will she take this even further and, and, and let me come home and stay there? And he worships the Lord and says, blessed. Look at the prayer in verse 27. Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who's not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. And the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. He didn't even know that she, who she was until that point. And that was the final thing. She's from my master's household. This is exactly what God sent me to do. I'm right on track. And then we see the brother come out. Rebecca had a brother. His name was Laban. Laban came out toward the man. And he invites him. And he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arm. And the, and the ring was actually put in her nose. And there's the importance there. But the man spoke to me. And he went to the man. And behold, he's standing by the spring. He says, come on, a blessed of the Lord. And, uh, and um, why do you stand outside? I prepared a house. In verse 32, so the man came to the house, unharnessed the camels, gave straw and fodder to the camels. There was water to wash his feet, and the feet of the men were with him, showing extreme hospitality. And the food was set before him to eat. But notice what the servant says there in verse 33. I will not eat until I tell you why I'm here. And he said, speak on. Why did he do that? He didn't want to take advantage of their hospitality, and he didn't want to waste time. I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission from God. Now, my master sent me, but this is a mission from God. I got to find a wife for my master's son, and I've picked her. And so he tells him all this, which would be, I would think, kind of shocking. But when they learn that his master is Abraham, see verse 34. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. You're my uncle's servant? That's really cool. My dad is his brother, so he gets it. And he says, and the Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he's become great. And he's given, his, uh, and he's given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and male and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. Talks about her miracle. And to him he's given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of Canaanite in whose land I dwell. Go to my father's house to my, uh, and to my clan and, make a, and take a wife for my son. So I said to my master, What if she doesn't follow me? 
And he said before the Lord, before whom I walk, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. And you'll take a wife for my son. And you'll be free from my oath that she won't come and, uh, uh, when you come to my clan. And then he says in verse 42, he tells him his whole plan and how it worked out. And verse 45, before I'd finished speaking, uh, in my heart, Rebekah came out. He wasn't even saying it out loud. And, it, and he saw it happen. And so when he asked her whose daughter she was, I knew this was the deal. So getting all the way down to uh, verse 49. And now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me so I can turn to the right or left. In other words, if this isn't it, I got to go do something else. So I'm not going to eat. So you tell me, I'm not going to take advantage of your hospitality. Because it just retells that whole story in those verses. And Laban and Bethuel answered and said, this is from the Lord. We can't speak whether it's good or bad. We got to ask Rebecca. And behold, Rebecca's before you. Take her and go and let the gift of uh, your wife uh, uh, go and let her be the wife of your master's son uh, as the Lord has spoken. In other words, this is God's business. So yes, you can have her. Now, when Abraham's servant heard the words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and, he, and, his, and the servant brought jewels of silver and of gold and garments, and he gave them to Rebekah, and then he gave to her brothers and to her mother costly garments. Note that word. It's going to become very important in a minute. In English, we don't quite catch it. There's something in there extra. And he said to the men who were with him, who ate and drank, and, uh, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. And in the morning he said, send me away to my master. And her brother and mother said, oh, let her stay with us at least 10 days. And then she shall go. And he goes, nope, got to happen today. She's not ready to go now. She's not going to get ready to go. Don't delay me. The Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, well, let's call the young woman and ask her. So Rebecca does get a choice in whether to go marry this guy or not. And said, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. And they sent her away. Rebecca and her sister and her nurse, Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, oh, sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. May your offspring possess the gate of him who hates him. And Rebecca and the young women arose and rode on the camel and followed the man. And the servant took Rebecca and went on his way. And then we see the conclusion of the story they returned from where they had, from Beer Lahai Roy, and are dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. Now, let's get Isaac involved here. This is the groom. He is meditating in the field. What does that mean? We hear the word meditate today. There's the Eastern religion. And when they say meditate, they mean go to a calm spot. Empty your mind. Well, if you empty your mind, the devil's going to come in. I mean, if you empty your head, the devil never passes an empty door. He doesn't turn into the room. He never goes by a vacant lot. He doesn't build a playground on it. And this word does not mean to empty your mind. It means to fill your mind with the knowledge of God and meditate on who God is. That's Old Testament meditation. That is what we are commanded to do. To take the word of God that is written for us and meditate on it. The word literally means chew the cud like a cow. They had watched these cows chew their cud. And so it's that idea of bringing it up and thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And Isaac's doing that. So he's praying. I assume he knows what the servant went to do. So he's probably praying, oh Lord, don't let her be ugly. I mean, just whatever. I don't know what he's praying. We don't know. Uh, He's praying for God's will to be done, I'm sure. And he lifted up his eyes, and behold, there were camels coming. 
And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. Why did she get off the camel? I don't know. Couldn't find that anywhere other than she got so excited she got off the camel. Something just spurred in her heart. That must be the dude. I think he must have been good looking to her. And she's like, I hope that's the guy. And she jumps off the camel and says, hey, is that, who is that guy? And who's that man walking in the field to meet us? And he said, it's my master. So she covered herself. She put on her humility and a beautiful garment. And the servant told Isaac all the things he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother. His mother had died, and he is meditating outside of her tent, this mother of our faith. And Isaac brought her into the tent where he had been conceived and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. See, love is a choice. It's not an emotion. He saw the will of God, and he obeyed it. To the point of loving his wife. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. You want the 90%? This servant is never named in this chapel, but, chapter, but we know his name. You just go back to chapter 15. And Abraham's chief servant in his house is a guy named Eliezer. And Abraham begged God, would you let Eliezer be my heir? Because obviously I'm already too old to have a baby. For Sarah to have a baby. God said, nope, you're going to have a baby. This, he liked this guy so much. He said, well, let him be the heir. No. And of course, you know the rest of those stories. This guy's name is Eliezer, but here's where I'm headed. And don't answer this out loud, okay? I'm going to ask a question. I don't want anybody to answer out loud because I don't want anybody to be embarrassed because you might get it wrong and I don't want that to happen, okay? Can anybody in here tell me the name of the Holy Spirit? And the answer is no, you can't. We don't know. He's only referred to as, in Greek, as the Spirit. I mean the Holy Spirit. He's emphasized. This is his title. The title of God the Father is God the Father. His name is Yahweh. God the Son, the Messiah, these titles, his name is Yeshua or Jesus. The Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, God of very God, is the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, that's an unforgivable sin in Mark. You can look it up. We don't know his name. We know this guy's name, but the chapter's making a point that he's pointing to something greater. And here's what Eliezer's job is. To go get a bride for his master's son. Now, what had just happened to the master's son a few chapters ago? His daddy took him on top of a mountain to sacrifice him. And it tells us in Hebrews that in the heart of Abraham, Isaac was already dead. And he had faith that God would raise him from the dead if he had to literally kill him. And so, Isaac went away three days. And as for anybody's concern, he was dead. But he came back after three days. Jesus died on the cross. And by the way, the Bible says about Jesus, that his conception was by the Holy Spirit. That his being saved from being put to death as all the babies under two years old 
were put to death under Rome. He spared him from that, saved him from that. That he met him at baptism and descended upon him at age of 30. That all the miracles Jesus did, he didn't do it in his own power, but by dependence on God and the Holy Spirit did those miracles. The Bible tells in Hebrew, in the book of Hebrews, that he offered himself on the cross by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that three days later, the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, back to Romans 8, 11, now dwells in you. The Holy Spirit raised him from the dead. And now the Spirit works in the church, Acts 2, 30. And so since Jesus completed the work of God, he was given the Spirit whom he has poured out on us, Peter said. And the Holy Spirit came from Jesus and is poured out on the church so that we might be his bride. And listen to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. The context of that is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave herself up for her. Eliezer is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you how. He's in charge of all of Abraham's possessions. He's taking care of all the things. The Holy Spirit's always the mover. In Genesis 1, the Spirit moved upon the face of the waters. He is the completer of God's will. He was sent by the Father to get a bride for his, this father's son. He's not mentioned by name, but he has the same authority as Abraham. He says, Abraham, my master. Abraham, my master. The Bible starts off saying, Abraham gave him authority of all his possessions. He has the same authority as God, a very God, the Holy Spirit is. Heliezer, by the way, was a war hero. You remember way back when the kings of Lot and all, uh, the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah got carried away and Lot was living there and Abraham and his household went to war? Eleazar went to war. And he was a war hero. He rescued people. The Holy Spirit is in a war with our enemy and, and is with us as we go to war to rescue the lost. Eleazar goes to the city of Nahor, which means slayer or piercer, to find the bride. The Holy Spirit goes to where people are pierced because of sin and dying because of sin to find a bride and get her out of there to redeem her. He never asked for Abraham's family. He just did it in a way that only the Holy Spirit could do it. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He doesn't do it the way we expect. He does the way God expects. Eliezer runs to Rebekah in verse 17. He initiates that interaction. Listen, you didn't find God. God found you. C.S. Lewis called him the great hound of heaven. He said, he chased me to Christ. And the Holy Spirit initiates it. And that ring put in her nose. Why in the nose? Well, first of all, they thought the nose was the most beautiful part. So if you had a good nose, man, that, that was a beautiful woman. So she just must have had a pretty nose, I guess. That's why he said that was an attractive girl. But why did they hang the ring in the nose? Well, number one, it was a costly ring that he gave her to put there. But do you remember back in Genesis 1 and 2? And God formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The gift of God is life, given to us by the Holy Spirit. Whew. He looked for the unasked for. When the Holy Spirit comes to you, he wants to... Listen, Christianity is not about getting your fire insurance. Making sure that you're saved so when you die, you go to heaven. Following Christ means to walk his path, to walk in his steps, to obey his will. 
And he wanted to make sure that that bride wouldn't just do the minimum, she'd do the maximum. And do it with a cheerful spirit and a happy heart. And that she would be hospitable to the stranger. All these things are commanded to us to do by the power of the Holy Spirit in the church. He was the manager of all the things. And Jesus himself said in John 16, 13, 15, I don't do my own will. I do the will the Father who sent me. And he lets us know he did it by the Holy Spirit. Rebecca didn't understand until she heard Eliezer explain it. All she knew is she just gave the dude some water. And he goes to her house and says, oh, by the way, let me explain all this to you now. And he tells the whole story. And Rebecca hears the story by the prompting of Eliezer as we hear the story of salvation and the Holy Spirit prompts us to say, yes, I'm willing to do that. He gives gifts and garments and precious things. Remember I said he gave precious garments to her family? Think about this. He gave gold, costly gold and garments to the bride. The costly gold is the blood of Christ that redeems us and the garment is the righteousness of Christ that we are clothed in. And then he gave garments to her family. But the root word for that word garments is the word fruit. It is beautiful produce is what it actually literally means. See, God gifts us and then when we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit, all the fruit of the Spirit is out there for others. The gifts are for others. They're not for us to keep. They're for us to give. And he pictures that here. Eleazar did not accept delay. When the Spirit speaks, he wants you to move. There are people today who may be hearing this, who right now God the Holy Spirit is telling you, you need Christ. You need to come to Christ. And he does not accept delay. Second Corinthians says, now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. And Eleazar leads the bride to the bridegroom. Did you notice what Eliezer said when she said, who's that dude? He didn't say, it's the son of my master. He said, that's my master. The Bible says the Holy Spirit was given to Jesus in a way that only God can do this. I can't explain it, that it sounds good because it sounds weird, but the Son was subject to the Father. Jesus did the will of the Father. The Spirit does the will of the Son. There's no such thing as a Holy Spirit revival or Holy Ghost revival. There's a Jesus revival fueled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, when he comes, he won't testify himself. But what I tell him to say, he's going to testify of me. He's going to talk about me. If the Holy Spirit shows up, you talk about Jesus a whole lot. Eliezer never talked about himself. He talked about my master, my master, my master. And he said, who's that dude? He said, that's my master. And the bride prepared herself and wrapped up in the beauty that we see in Ephesians for, to become the bride of Isaac. Friends, Genesis 24 is a picture of the gospel. This is what God did for us. He was sacrificed for us. And then he takes a bride out from the world to be a dedicated bride to fulfill the promises of God to have descendants for eternity. The church is the mother, in a sense of the word, for the people that will be saved. We are the ones that nurture and, and watch them be born, give them 
birth. We, I know all that is spiritual in the Holy Spirit, but the church's role, this is why the church is so important. I read you Ephesians, Christ loved us and he gave himself for us. You might have a religious entity, you may be a religious person, but friend, Jesus died for the church and the church is the bride of Christ. She is precious to him. He loves her and he loves her so that we will produce children, spiritual children for the glory of God for eternity. It's all right here in Genesis 24. Now, I don't know about you, but I had about a thousand holy hallelujah fits studying this. And I hope you go home and look beneath the 10% that's on the top and see that God wants to have his will in your life and that he'll lead you by the person of the Holy Spirit to know what his word says and what you ought to do about it. Well, here's some things you could do. I know we're past time. I thought I was going to go faster. I went slower this time. I didn't mean to do that, but... First of all, the Holy Spirit's always leading. We must make sure we're following. The Bible tells us in Galatians 5, that uh, verses 16 through 18, 25, 26, that if we walk in the Spirit, we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, that we ought to be uh, led by the Spirit through the Word of God. The Spirit illuminates the written Word of God that we might know the living Word of God, and we might do the will of God. And that's in Romans 12, 1 and 2 that we should be actively doing the will of God. The Holy Spirit in our lives will produce the gifts of God. So what are you doing that can only be explained by the Spirit's leading? I asked that earlier. What are you doing that if, it fa- that if God doesn't get involved, it'll fail? He wants to produce those gifts. So what are you doing that can only be explained by God's Spirit leading you? And that's found in 1 Corinthians 12. We don't have the reference up there. And you can read that for yourself. And then the Holy Spirit is leading the bride to the groom. Where are you in that picture? Are you one standing outside the wedding or are you the bride in the party? God wants to call you to himself. And the church is the bride of Christ. If you're not in the body of the bride, you're lost. I'm not saying the church saves you. Jesus saves you the Holy, through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. But you're put into this body. We are all part of one body, which is called the bride of Christ, the church.